be in Genesis chapter 29, as I mentioned before, continuing our series entitled Origins. I will just read a handful of verses. Todd will be in the passage in its entirety. But the word of the Lord says this, Genesis 29, starting in verse 1. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. As he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large. And when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, My brothers, where do you come from? They said, We are from Haran. He said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, We know him. He said to them, Is it well with him? They said, It is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. He said, Behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go pasture them. But they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that she was Rebekah's son, and she ran and told her father. May we be blessed by the reading of God's word this morning. You may be seated. Good morning. It's good to be here and to gather with God's people. Amen. I was just telling Jared, I, I was like, Jared, I need you to check on Cedar. He just FaceTimed me 15 times in a row. So, but, uh, I'm glad he's, you know, a stone's throw away. As Jared said, we'll be in uh, Genesis chapter 29. My goal this morning is to get us all the way to Genesis chapter 30, uh, verse 24. Um, so, uh, we have a lot to do this morning. I promise it will go much quicker than it sounds. Um, the last part of the application will take care of chapter 30. Uh, it's basically where uh, God shows us the sons of Israel, the, the tribes of Israel. And so I'm going to bring us all the way to how God redeems these things. Just a few announcements before we get started. I'll pray for us, and then we'll dive into God's holy word this morning. Uh, just uh, We did cancel this past um, Saturday's movie night because it was uh, the first football game uh, for the Vols, and we thought, man, nobody's probably going to come see uh, Dennis the Menace. They'd probably much rather stay at home and watch a football game. And also because next Sunday is our first day back with our children, so we want to do a kickoff for our children. Next Saturday night at 7 o'clock, we will be in the parking lot doing Dennis the Menace. Uh, that's not just for the kids, that's for everybody. That's a church-wide event, not just a children's event. So please Join us next Saturday in your cars as we watch a movie together. Um, and then again, as I said, next Sunday morning, uh, we will gather with the children as well. They will be in the back. Uh, we will stay here in the front. Uh, let me pray for us, and then we'll jump into God's holy word this morning. God, I'm grateful to be in your house. I'm grateful for 
uh, your people that are beginning to gather back in. I'm also grateful for those who are joining us online this morning. I pray, God, more than anything, that our hearts will be transformed by the teaching of Your Word, by the gathering of Your saints, and by the worship uh, to You. We are desperate for You, Lord Jesus. We need You more than we know. Even as much as we can tell You we know, there's more in us that we need You. And so I pray for us this morning as we look at Your Word. I pray, God, that we would see that You are still sovereign you're still in control. You still reign over all things. And that nothing catches you by surprise. And that you use all things for your glory and for our good. You are a God that redeems. Uh, even when it looks like it's impossible to redeem, you redeem those things. So use this this morning. Lead us and guide us, I pray. Amen. Just as a way of recap, this morning we are here uh, in Genesis chapter 29, what we've been doing in this series is looking uh, at a few different things. We've looked at uh, in the first few chapters just how God started all the world. And, he, and then talked about this plan that He has, this plan to redeem His fallen people. Because in Genesis chapter 2 and 3, Adam and Eve sin. They break fellowship and relationship with God. And there's this wide chasm because of sin that has separated us from God. And yet we see in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that God had a plan, a plan to redeem his people, a plan that he would send his son to make a way through the chasm for sinful people back to a holy God. And he said over and over and over, we've looked at this uh, through the life of Abraham, the life of Isaac. Now we'll look at it through the life of Jacob, that there will be this line of people, this chosen race, this chosen family to bring about the seed, the promised seed, the, the, the gospel, Jesus Christ, that all this would be tracked back. We can track Jesus all the way back to Genesis chapter three. And now here again in Genesis chapter 29, as we looked at last week, remember, there's this moment that Jacob had deceived his father, Isaac, and his older brother, Esau, and he's on the run. He's fleeing for his life because Esau's so angry that he robbed him of his blessing and robbed him of his birthright. And so remember his mother, Rebecca, sent him off, ascending to the older brother Laban to, to find a respite till the older brother Esau, uh, in a way, gets over it. And his anger, his rage to kill Jacob subsides. But he's on that journey, and what we looked at last week was he was on that journey and God stopped him in a certain place. And in that certain place, he took a rest. He went to sleep. And in that, he then sees this image that God had given him. That God was in heaven and that there's a ladder that's connecting heaven to earth and that the angels are ascending and descending on it. And then God speaks to Jacob the same way that He spoke to his granddad, the same way that He spoke to his dad and said, I'm going to bless you. And through you, you're going to be a blessing to many nations. That your offspring will be like the dust of the earth. And he says, I will be with you always till I accomplish my purposes through you. And then he awakes and now that's where we see here. He's awoken from that dream and he's on his journey. And it says this in chapter 29. So he's on his way to meet his mom's brother to find a place of safety. And we see in these first eight verses Jacob's journey. 
says this, that Jacob went on his journey and he came to the land of the people to the east. If you highlight these few words in your Bible, Jacob went on his journey. In the literal Hebrew, it means this, that Jacob lifted up his feet or that there was a pep in his step, that at this moment he arises from his sleep after that moment that he had an encounter with God and there's this little bit more zeal. I don't know about you, but if you've ever had an encounter like God with God like that, is there not more energy that you have? Like, man, I feel like I could do anything. So here Jacob is. He has this sweet encounter with the Lord, and now he's got this energy. Remember, it's a 500-mile trek that he's going on. We're not sure exactly on this 500-mile trek where this dream happened, but we do know this. He had a long way still to go. And now all of a sudden, his feet are lighter. He, he's running. He's running to see what God would have for him. But I don't know and if this is you or this is me, but we'll see in this passage. And as you read this passage, there's so many similarities between this passage and Genesis chapter 24. You may have heard when Jared was teaching or reading this morning, like, man, I've heard that before. Have there not been so many similarities throughout these last stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? It's like, they seem to retell the same story. Why would God put this in? He already kind of shared this with us a few chapters before. But we're going to see here in a moment, there's, yes, there's a lot of similarities. Yes, that Jacob ends up at a well, just like Abraham's servant when he went looking for a wife. We'll see that at the well, this woman comes to the well just like his mother had come to the well. Just like this Encounter that he will be brought to Laban just like the servant was brought to Laban. And there's a lot of similarities, but we'll point out some few key differences that are important. And so here Jacob is. He's light on his feet. He's running towards and he comes up over the horizon and he sees this well. Many scholars believe it's the same well that his grandfather's servant saw when he went looking for Rebekah. Now, wells in that day were a very important place. It was a place that people would come and they would gather, not just to water, but to have fellowship, to have communion with other people. And so here, this well, here's, it's in the epicenter of the city, and we see that there's some sh shepherds around with their sheep, kind of being lazy. You'll see that in the text. They weren't watering their sheep. And so here Jacob is. He comes up on the scene and he's asking the shepherds who they are. And he says, you know where are you from? And they said, we're from Haran. Remember, Haran is where uh, Abraham's father stopped before Abraham goes to the promised land. So these are his people. He realizes, Jacob realizes this is where he's come. These are his people. And then he says this in verse 4. Do you know Laban? And they said, we know him. Verse 5, and he said to them, is it well with him or is he doing okay? It is well with him. He is doing fine. And then they said, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. And so here's the scene. Here is where we first see Jacob. He arrives from his long four to five hundred mile trek to a place of safety. That the fugitive finally has a place to be secure. 
And he sees this well and he sees these shepherds and he begins to ask questions to make sure he's in the right place and they say he's in the right place. And then the same as the servant saw this beautiful woman coming to the well. And that beauty captures the eye of Jacob. And so Jacob says, as she's coming, he sees that Rachel is there and he said, behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water sheep and go pasture them. But they said, we, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. So there's still a covering over the well. No one has moved the rock. Well, no, in this text, it's going to take several men to move the well. But then it says this in verse 9. Jacob sees his match. While he was still speaking to them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well mouth and watered her flock. And Laban, his, his, with his mother, and Laban, the mother's brother, then Jacob kissed and wept aloud. And so here we see again this zeal that Jacob has. What, what was a to take several men to roll this stone away? This passion that Jacob has. I, I don't know how he did it, but he shoved the stone away from the well, waters the sheep, and then is just overcome with joy for Rachel. Now remember when I just said a few moments ago that there's very, very similar stories to Genesis chapter 24. Well, now we have a glimpse of where things begin to change. Right? Nowhere in this passage does it say that Jacob sought the Lord. He had just seen the Lord. He had just been given promise from the Lord. He has this zeal about him, but he missed connecting with God. How many of us do that? We have this encounter with God that's so impressionable on us, and within moments, we wander from God. That's what happened to Jacob. He doesn't pause the way the servant... Remember what the servant did when he came to the well. He prayed to God, God, may You give me the eyes to see who You have for this young man. And then Rebekah comes on the scene. He prays again in Genesis 24.12. Like, is this the one? He's seeking God. He's seeking the favor of God. He's not just consumed by this woman's Beauty, the way that we see Jacob is consumed by her beauty. And then again, when she comes and he waters the flock, he doesn't then give praise to God either. He doesn't stop and think, ask God who it is that he would have for him. He doesn't ask God, is this the one for him? And then when she comes and does all that he does to her, he doesn't stop and give praise to God. And I wonder for us, Church, how often that has been true for us as His people. God has been so faithful to us and revealed Himself to us. We have this zeal for Him. And then we wander away and never seek after God again. And then Jacob, it says, he just kissed her and wept out loud. 
He was consumed in the moment. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that it was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. Remember how Rebekah had responded in the same way and ran and told her father and Laban that there's this man that had come to search for her and to, to marry her off. Well, we see Rachel does the same thing. And as soon as Laban, in verse 13, it says this, as soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister, his son's sister, he ran and met him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. And Jacob told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, Surely you are bone, my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him for a month. As I just said, Jacob met his match, and now we'll see again Jacob meets his match. The play on words. And the few verses before he had met who he would marry, and now he's going to meet someone just like himself, a great deceiver. And unlike Abraham's servant, Eleazar, he brought no gifts, no goods, no bride price. Jacob showed up dusty, dirty, with the clothes on his back, hoping to marry this woman. And so he says that to Laban. And Laban says to him, hey, you're going to stay here, you're going to be with me for a month, and you're going to work. But then it says that in verse 13. He had heard all about Jacob. And Jacob had told him everything. Jacob had disclosed to him why he was on the run. Like it says, he told him everything. When he met him, he kissed him, he brought him. And he he said, you should surely stay with with me. And I wonder in that conversation, as Jacob is meeting his match, the great deceiver, little did Jacob know he had met his match. He had told Laban that he was on the run. He had told him that his mother had sent him there. He told him that Esau wanted to kill him. He had told him about the, the, the blessing. He had told him uh, about the, the birthright. He told him that he needed safety. And again, I think it's a play on words where Laban says to him, you are bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. We are just like each other. We've been cut out of the same cloth as they say here in the South. And I don't think Jacob picked up on those words until later on in the passage. So here Jacob is. He's on the run. He now finds a place of safety. He stays with Laban for a month. And then Laban in his quote-unquote kindness, we'll see it's deception in verse 15. Laban said to Jacob, because you're my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me what what shall be your wage this. And then there's this interruption in the text. And it says this. And it's an insight for us into what's about to come for the rest of Jacob's life. The writer says this, and now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older Leah and the name of the younger Rachel. And it says that Leah's eyes were weak but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. And Jacob loved Rachel. And he said this, because of this girl's beauty, I'll serve you for seven years. Like Jacob just paused 
Just pray, just seek God. Don't respond out of your flesh. And yet we see Jacob not pause and respond out of his flesh. His eyes have seen beauty he does not know what to do with. Again, church, I wonder when our eyes see beauty and we do not pause, the disaster it gets us into. Because there's going to be disaster that comes from this. For the rest of Jacob's life, for the rest of Leah's life, and for the rest of Rachel's life. Because one man would not pause to seek God. And one man, Laban's in on it. He's a great deceiver. And what we can see in this text is this, this chapter and the chapters that come, that even when we try to deceive, we cannot deceive the plans of God. God has a plan. He had just told him in chapter 28, his plan was to make him fruitful and to make his offspring as the dust of the earth. We're going to see how God is going to redeem that plan for him, even in spite of Rachel's part in it, Leah's part in it, Jacob's part in it, and for sure Laban's part in it. And so Jacob responds to Laban and says, I will serve you for seven years for your younger daughter. And Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than that I should give her to another and stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel and they seemed but a few days to him because he loved her. Seven years. That is a long time. But because of Jacob's love for Rachel, it says in the text that it seemed like a few days or a few moments. Then circle the word then in your Bible. That word then covers seven years. Seven years that seem short. And I wonder if in his tent, Jacob had like a calendar of marking off days. I can't wait. I can't wait. Anyone ever done that? Like have a markdown of like you have an anticipation something you mark and mark. Seven years he's been marking. I wonder if that morning he finally got to the seven year mark and it says this. He basically ran to Laban and said, Give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is complete. He's saying, I've served you. I've done what you needed me to do. You got yours. Now it's my time. I want my wife. And so Laban throws this party. He gathers all of his guests to, for this celebration, this feast. And so at the feast, then again it says this in verse 23. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob and he went into her. So he's got this plan, this masterful plan that Leah had to be a part of. We can, in that one verse, like Leah had to be somewhat compliant with the father to do it. Like she didn't put up any resistance. Which says to me, Leah must have in some way been attracted to Jacob, wanted to, or she felt fear that her time would never come. And she's like, I, I got to get married. And so she's in on the plan with Laban. Now there's this huge party in the Middle East when you have a wedding. And so no doubt, Jacob had probably drank a little too much. You see that back in 
previous text where the men would drink and become somewhat, you know, intoxicated. I wonder if that's where Jacob was. We know in this time, everyone's like, well, how would he not know it was Rachel? Well, in that time frame, in that period, the bride would be covered head to toe and all you could see is her eyes. So it wasn't like Jacob knew exactly what was coming, walking down the aisle the way we do. He had no idea she's covered all over except for her eyes until he walks her into a tent. Now, they don't have lights like we do. So it's pitch black. He's somewhat drunk and he consummates the marriage. And then it says this. He awakes. And I wonder what happened the moment he awoke from his sleep that day. Could you imagine? Like you roll over and what you think is next to you is not next to you. You see in the text, I'm reading into the text a little bit, but I have this picture of Jacob jumping up out of the bed and running to finding Laban in a fit of rage. Would anyone else? Like, hey man, you duped me. You tricked me. You deceived me. And he says to Laban, what have you done? What have you done to me? Why have you done this to me? And his simple reply was this. That's not how we do it in our country. He says the older goes first. And I wonder in that moment if it had hit Jacob right in the mouth. Remember Jacob's ploy was that the younger would rob the older. And now Laban is saying, hey, the way we do it is the older's first. Like, I wonder if those moments of all the trickery that Jacob had done came flashing in his head. And he had been ultimately tricked. He says nothing. He puts up no rebuke. And Laban says to him, hey, you want Rachel? You want Rachel? Serve me seven more years. And Jacob says, basically, okay, and then goes and serves him seven more years. But I wonder how long those seven years were. Now again, we can read this text and think, oh, seven years. Fourteen years this man's been serving Laban to ultimately get Rachel. But it says in the text that he loved Rachel more than he loved Leah. He despised Leah. And the beauty comes in the way the Lord redeems all of this in verses 31 through chapter 30. So finally, he has Rachel. He has Leah. He has two servants. He has four wives. Comes to town with no wives. Leah is going to leave with four wives. What? That's not what I signed up for. That's problems. That's going to be a lot of problems. But he loved Rachel more than he loved Leah. And it says this, God was watching the whole time in verse 30. And when the Lord saw Leah was hated, He opened her womb, for Rachel was barren. God has compassion 
on those who don't get compassion. You see that in that one verse. And so the Lord opens the womb and gives Leah four children. Those four children are Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. Then he closes her wombs and opens up the other women's wombs. He has more children through the concubines. And then finally, his love of his life gives birth to his favorite son, Joseph, who we'll spend a lot of time on. And Joseph gets a lot of attention in the rest of the account of Genesis. But as we'll see, Joseph was not the chosen child. We can think of the text because the rest of the Bible is going, or Genesis is going to spend a lot of time on the life of Joseph. He was the favorite child. He was the boy that had the color. He's the boy that went into Pharaoh. He was the boy that went to uh, Potiphar's wife, got thrown in the prison. Like You remember that story. But that is not where Christ comes from. Christ did not come from the one that Jacob wanted. Christ comes from who? Leah. Two small words. She gave birth to four children. The one first was Reuben, then Simeon. But here's two important people. Levi and Judah. Circle those two names in your Bible. This is where ultimately Mary would come from and ultimately where Joseph would come from. These two lines. Remember, the Levites were the priests. And God said throughout the Old Testament that He would have a priest come to serve His people. And so Christ came to fulfill the priesthood through the Levites. But then the last name that Leah had was who? Judah. If you take Judah and you look at his lineage, you know who comes from Judah? King David. You know who comes from King David? Jesus. So throughout the Old Testament, we'll see over and over that God said, my chosen one would be a king and a priest. Which we see fulfilled in Luke's Gospel and Matthew's Gospel. You see, when we think we can deceive, when we think we can trick, when we think we can get things in our own hands, God will use those things. He used wicked Laban to make sure His promises would be fulfilled because He, God, knew that Rachel would not bring about Levi and Judah. It would only come through Leah. So God, though Laban deceived, God redeemed His deception to make sure His promises would come true. You see, God always is going to redeem wickedness, sinfulness, failure for His glory and for our good. Now the application for us this morning is simply this. Do we believe the Lord redeems?
everything in your life, everything in my life, everything in the lives of our children. God has a plan for us, He tells us in Jeremiah 29, 11. So if He has a plan for us, and He's watching over us, and He's watching over our children, then no matter what we do, His promises will be fulfilled. Amen? Thank God it does not depend on me. If it depended on me, I would be in trouble. You would be in trouble. But God will use all of our circumstances to fulfill His promises in your life, my life, Cedar's life, Tennyson's life, your children's lives. Because He is sovereign in control of all things, even here in this text, where Laban thought he had the upper hand, God had the upper hand to make sure that a Savior would come from a priest and from a king. That we believe that to be true in our lives this morning. Let us pray. God, You always redeem. Always. Not sometimes. Not on occasions. You always redeem. You redeem this story of a wicked man, Laban. You redeem this story of Jacob who did not seek You for a wife. You redeemed it to make sure that Your promise to Jacob, to Isaac, to Abraham, to Adam and Eve would be fulfilled. That there would be a king and a priest to come to redeem us to You. I pray that we would put our faith and our hope and our trust in Him this morning. Use this text, use this in our lives to show us Your great power. I pray this in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen. If you would rise this morning for the benediction. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you always. Grace and peace be with you.